0: Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money.
1: The best in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Chris Hill, and joining me in studio this week from Motley Fool Hidden Gems, Seth Jason, from Motley Fool Income Investor, James Early and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross. Gentlemen, good to see you, as always. Good to see you. How, How you, nice you doing, Chris? We have got the latest from Ford, McDonald's, Microsoft, and more. We have got a startup expert giving us a look at the next big things in technology. And as always, we've got a few stocks on our radar. But we begin with the big macro. Jobless claims fell to a nine-month low, Ron Gross. Last week, we talked about unemployment dropping. That was good news. Is this do you good. feel the momentum building? Do, do we have do you feel it? Two weeks
0: in a row of good news. I think I might feel it. Yeah. I am I'm, I'm encouraged. Uh, and each week jiggle. each week we get another data point that that's positive, I, I become more encouraged and I've been pessimistic for a long time. So uh, Two weeks how, is, is a good trend. We're not out of the woods. Let's not get crazy, but it is a trend. How many data
2: points would you need to have to be like <laughs> off the charts? 12. I just, 12. 12. exactly no, 12 if weeks? If you're a
3: regular human, all you need is two. <laughs> that's two how makes we, a line, that's, right? that's how we roll. Two data points, we've got a trend.
1: Exactly. Well, before we- uh, One, if you're a reporter, by the way. Exactly. Before we get uh, too too steeped in the good news, uh, let's go over to Europe, which uh, is constantly- <laughs> You go ruin it. It was
0: a perfectly good show. <laughs> I know, yeah.
1: and I, I almost hesitate to mention in this, James, because I, I sort of feel like by Monday, anything I say now about the EU is is just going to be obsolete. Monday? But, by
3: later this afternoon? <laughs> yeah.
1: But it appears that uh, EU leaders have a deal in place with most of the countries. Um, Great Britain is not one of them. What What's the latest? Well,
2: Chris, group psychology studies have shown that a size of four is like the optimal group size for getting ideas together and decisiveness. So you put 27 people together, make them <laughs> Europeans, I mean, you're not going to get much. Um, I'm a little they surprised a they agreed on this in the first place. And they all place. hate each other. but uh, The problem is, is, is monetary union without fiscal union, so they're trying to think of a way to fiscally unionize, um, basically so that the kids can't go spending on the parents' credit cards uh, metaphorically. There is some kind of agreement. I, I don't really understand it. Um, it it's vague, and, and I think that's going to be the, the question: is how does it play out, and will the member states abide by this? Because there were previously agreements before about about joining the, the euro, and they didn't work too well either. Seth.
3: Yeah, the question here is: is there an actual mechanism needed to to take care of you know liquidity problems, or do you, do they just need to sort of convince everyone that hey, we've got this big secret plan over here? <laughs> And, uh, you know, if there's a problem, it'll be taken care of. And and is that kind of reassurance enough to just get the so-called bond vigilantes to quit drubbing
1: the Italys and the Spains and the others?
2: It's a solvency problem at the end of the day. Yeah.
1: Is 2012 going to be the year when investors can finally look at Europe and feel like, OK, I'm, I'm now going to dip my toe back in the waters of investing in Europe? Or Oh, or, no,
3: I think that's going to be the year that we say, Woo! I mean, I feel really bad for all those people, but I have been looking for real estate in
1: Italy for a long time, <laughs> and I'm glad it's gotten so cheap. Uh, for the first time in more than five years, Ford Motor is going to be paying a quarterly dividend. Uh, James, Ford Motor is one of your stocks. You, you've got to be ecstatic.
2: Well, course. it's not one of my income investor stocks, but but I am a little bit familiar with it. I, I will say uh, uh, <laughs> I'm semi ecstatic. Actually, I'm not ecstatic at all. Uh, the American car companies, <laughs> semi-ecstatic. Uh, Ford less so than GM, are kind of like the kids who, who just got beaten up in the playground. And they're, they're trying their best to stand up and walk around like nothing happened. Uh, but, but these guys have just been through hell. So they need to take a breath, I think, and, and, and maybe not try to pay out so much cash just yet. It is not a lot of cash. I think they're starting with five cents a share in March, uh, coming c- compared to like a buck 40 something in EPS per year. So it's not huge, but I don't see the rush. Ford does run interestingly i think i think the
0: the amount of the dividend was less than analysts were hoping for so there even though it was good news it was a little bit, bit disappointing um i thought it was interesting that the company said they they've done stress tests on the business and they've looked at their solvency and even if we get another downturn economic downturn this is the kind of thing that is sustainable they will not take it away again which I, who could promise that let's face it but uh, i think you know the, that is a good signal to the markets
1: now, earlier in the week, uh, the Wall Street Journal reported that Ford has begun a two-year search to find a replacement for CEO Alan Mulally. Um, he's expected to step down in two years. It, the search may take less than that. They listed some internal candidates for executives. Uh, a guy from Hyundai, who's an executive, who's uh, a candidate as well. Um, Ron, you own shares of Ford. I, I mean, how, how do you feel about um, this being out in the open? Well, first, let's say Ford has not confirmed this. In fact, they say they're
0: not currently undergoing a search. So, whether they're doing it behind the scenes or not, we can't really be sure. There's obviously many uh, good candidates that probably uh, could take the reins here. I prefer more disclosure than less. Some people think it's a distraction for this to be talked about now when it's two years out. Hey, I'm an owner of a company. I want to know what's going on with the leadership of that company, and, and I can handle a little bit of noise. You can here handle and the there. truth. I can. Handle Would you want
2: it. to be CEO of an American car company?
3: I absolutely not. Oh, I'd take it any day. <laughs> Would you? Oh, yeah, because all of these things are sort of, you know, there's. if you screw up, you're still a bazillionaire. But what's the difference? Yeah. I mean, Malali didn't screw up, I don't think. I think he did a pretty good job, and he's going to be an even bigger bazillionaire. But, yeah, you want to be a CEO of any American company because the pay structure is such that even when you fail, you can just laugh at everyone and give them the finger because you never
1: need them again. Do you want me to make some phone calls, see if I can get you on the short list? Yeah, uh, I, two yeah. Years. I don't think that's happening. All right. Xbox Live got a major upgrade this week that includes new options for watching TV and improvements to its Kinect game system. Uh, Seth, I will be honest. I I was downloading it. I I know you're uh, an Xbox person. I didn't realize the numbers were this big. Microsoft has 35 million subscribers to Xbox Live.
3: Well, and they don't. I think that's a good count, actually, because a lot of a lot of companies, especially these uh, Internet startups, they just tell you how many people they have signed up. Microsoft is talking only in, in that number about people who logged on in the last three months. So that's mm-hmm. a pretty good conservative number. I think it's a fair number. But it's also tiny compared to, to the total user base that Microsoft can be bringing into this system. And I'm going to get to that in a second, but there's 364 million Hotmail users. It's by far the the biggest uh, free email uh, system out there. And of course, they bought Skype. 521 million users of Skype. That was as of Q3 2009, at least according to the numbers I got off Wikipedia, which were the only ones I could find. How could those be wrong? Yeah. <laughs> but who knows how many? Who knows how many there are? And of course, they are going to be integrating Skype with both the Windows Phone platform. Mm-hmm and the Xbox platform. One of the more important things they've done here is they've kind of made the look and feel consistent with uh, Windows 8, with the tiles that are coming up, as well as uh, Windows Phone, and that is uh, very well regarded by a lot of the tech uh, analysts out there. So they're really finally bringing everything together uh, and uh, I mean, I think they have a good shot at owning the living room. They 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 do in many senses already. And well, they
0: introduced the cloud in, in this time around, which I think is a pretty, pretty
3: well. Yeah, nice they, that's actually a, a, a very small piece for now. But it's interesting but, that you but can I now like it. you can now save your games. <laughs> the save part of, your yeah. games to a, a half gig of online space. Uh, save your saved games, not like. The disk itself. But anyway, that means that if you're a gamer and you're over at your buddy's house, you don't have to have a memory stick with you. You just log on and go.
1: Well, and this isn't just about games. I mean, you're, this also includes Netflix. You've well, got Netflix s- has TV been on channels on Verizon. Yeah, they're adding their soon to
3: add HBO to go. They're going to have Verizon and I think it's Comcast. On demand from uh, on Comcast. On demand. Systems, they're going to have Crackle and some others. So they've already they've had for quite a while now. Hulu Plus and Netflix, which I think are the two most mm-hmm. popular services. But as they add more of these, you, essentially you get the an amped up set top box that also plays games and could do a variety of other things.
1: As we continue to hear rumors about uh, Apple TV coming in 2012, is do you think the folks at Apple are watching this and, and looking for? A, well, they a, a obviously blueprint?
3: haven't because they've been copying some of the features for for a while. Uh, a lot of the voice search that's that's been built into the connector. The voice uh, control has been there for a while, for months now, uh, but now they've added some search, which is actually pretty impressive. I say, you know, Xbox. You know, find New Girl. I tried last night the TV show and it found it in two or three different places. You could buy the episodes, you could use Hulu Plus, and it just brought those up. And then I could just wave my hand mm-hmm. over the Hulu option since I'm already a Hulu uh, subscriber, and bang, it started the latest episode just like that. So, uh, all of a lot of the rumored features that people are saying are going to make Apple TV such, such an awesome device, they
1: already exist. They're already here, they're already here, they're in the Xbox, you can use them on any TV in the house. Coming up, Martha Stewart's not going to jail, but she was in the headlines again this week. We'll tell you why right after this. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in the studio with Seth Jason, James Early, and Ron Gross. Shares of Costco down slightly this week on the company's latest earnings. Uh, Ron, mm. the profit looked good. The margins, less good that's
0: good well the first headline was that they missed expectations they, they didn't meet analysts uh, expectations which is actually not correct if you strip out the one-time charge from a, an audit that was done on the Mexican joint venture they were they were right in line most important about that though yeah <laughs> yeah. If <we> right <laughs> I would, yeah you know I'm just, cause, cause was my baby yeah um, body it's always all. firing on what's on all going cylinders. on here <laughs> what's going on here is the company is holding the line on prices even lowering prices in some circumstances as we go into the holiday season they're doing that in the face of Rising costs, which impacts their margins, impacts profitability, um, which, you know. Sometimes Wall Street doesn't like, but this builds goodwill. This it plays right into where they want to be. It drives those strong retention rates, those membership retention rates that they have, um, and
3: this will pay dividends down the road. Because they because they scalp you every year on that fee, right?
1: <laughs> uh-huh. So you're like, wow, they did just margin, raise ten percent. Right? Yeah, like uh, I I've got to save a nickel on my toilet paper. Yeah, but the, it but it I pay them how much more? Sixty bucks or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but this is like the first time in five years they raised the membership fee. Isn't right. It? <laughs> <laughs> it's still what is it fifty five yeah, dollars have, a year, a little bit more than a dollar. A week
3: bad we can say about Costco just to watch Ron's and, and you know, it is it is the end of pain.
0: the tenure of uh, Jim Senegal so uh, we thank him for all he has done for us shareholders and uh,
1: but it's clear he's ready to go. The, after the company this is mess. still in good hands. <laughs> Shares of Martha Stewart Living omni media up more than forty percent this week after J.C. penny bought a minority stake in the company. Uh, Seth, obviously, that's good news for Martha Stewart. Um, is this a Everything good... at that company is always good news for Martha Stewart. She comes first. <laughs> is this a good long-term move for J.C. Penney?
3: You know, I really don't think so. This Macy's has been selling Martha Stewart stuff yep. for a while, and they're reportedly uh, miffed by this because they expected something more of an exclusive arrangement. But I don't know that this helps J.C. and I think this shows that uh, Ronald Johnson, who is the, the guy who takes credit for the Apple retail strategy, okay. Uh, maybe out of ideas because uh, he was, I saw one of his ads the other day uh, or a JCPenney ad. I assume that he had some control over this because it was a complete rip off of a Target ad, you know? Well, it was he like did use to work Target. <laughs> and he so was at Target. So you're saying he's a genius. <laughs> I'm saying genius, I'm yeah. saying that he seems a little bit like a one-trick pony to me. I mean, even the font choice and colors were a complete ripoff from Target. And what he did at Target, one of the things that helped at Target was he brought in, uh, some kind of hipness. So he brought in sort of Michael Graves designs and some other brands. And I think that works at Target because Target essentially, before this, Target was not hip. It was just sort of a cleaner version of Walmart. But I don't think you can do that at J.C. JCPenney no matter what you try. Uh, and certainly Martha Stewart is yeah. not going to bring any hipness to anyone.
2: It t- Walmart tried to copy Target itself, and, and it failed miserably. It's just th- these retailers have their niches. I, yeah. I tend to agree with that.
1: Uh, earlier this week on Market Foolery, our daily podcast, one of uh, your colleagues called this a business match made in heaven. You're saying JCPenney and Martha Stewart is not the next ExxonMobil?
3: Well, it's it's just so obvious. I, mean, I I found myself saying I couldn't already get Martha Stewart junk at J C Penney. They have all those other junky brands that are not differentiated and not the least bit cool. That I don't think this moves the the, the needle at all at J C Penney.
1: I don't think you're getting a holiday card from Martha Stewart this year. Or Walmart. Shares of McDonald's hit an all-time high this week, and the company reported global same-store sales were up nearly 7.5%. James, that is wow. that is huge. It is,
2: it is great. When the times get tough, we get less picky about where we eat, and, and you know, <laughs> McDonald's is cheap. I actually, you say
1: we, you mean are you included? Yeah. I, I was went, it the
2: McRib? I did go to McDonald's this morning. Wow. Um, really? Whoa. Yeah, That's a what did when you <laughs> do? You guys know I used to be vegetarian. My wife and I cook and buy our food separately because she doesn't want a part of my weird animal-friendly diet. I had no food, so I was going to go to Whole Foods for breakfast. Too much traffic. So I took a weird way, went through McDonald's, got three egg McMuffins. Three? And I'm dealing with the guilt. Yeah, really? but it was but they were fast. pretty good, weren't they? It was really fast. I gotta they, say that. And they were you good, know, weren't I, they? I know not not the not the Canadian bacon. Uh, but but yeah. What did you get in it? What what egg McMuffin did you get? Just just egg and bun. Egg and, and like a, like an English muffin. And you ate yeah. one of these? I three I ate of three them. them. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's disgusting. But, yeah, the company is doing <laughs> you well. Know, Ron <laughs> wouldn't do that. <laughs> it is an income investor. Yeah, well, it's been a couple hours now, but uh, income investor recommendation uh, has strong international revenues in particular, whereas, like a Yum Brands, for instance, it's uh, doing pretty well too, but. They're not as strong domestically. McDonald's is, is is very well diversified. It's a good company.
1: Uh, if you are looking for Coca-Cola's secret formula, uh, it is now on display at the World of Coca-Cola Museum in Atlanta. Sure, it is. Uh, but before you pay your sixteen dollars to get in, the Fort Knox gold—that's yeah. what the ticket costs. Um, you're going to see only the vault encasing the formula. <laughs> That's going to be visible to the public. The formula, I guess, we're going so to not take not it. Not really
2: on display, then. If,
1: yeah. So, and for two dollars, you can go to an internet site and see a picture
2: of
3: the
1: ticket <laughs> that you get. Eight. Why are they doing this, Ron? I mean, I mean, because they get free There's a with. mystique.
0: People will pay for almost anything. Three egg McMuffins.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Let me give you an example.
2: It was like five bucks. For cheap. Yeah, <laughs> I mean,
3: people will pay. People will pay to go inside a giant fiberglass muskie. In Hayward, Wisconsin, or wherever that thing is. What's a musky?
2: A musky. A yeah. Um, yeah,
3: It's a it's a giant it's like a pike of the fish. Fish. Yeah,
2: a very aggressive, skinny, long fish. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I this
1: don't show is not only entertaining but lovable. educational. Yeah. Uh, in the uh, few minutes we have left, we'll get to the stocks on our radar, and let's bring in our man Steve Broda from the other side of the glass for. Uh, A question for each one of you. Ron Gross, you're up first.
0: I'm going to go with Zipcar, ticker Z-I-P. The stock has been absolutely smacked since we originally purchased it in million-dollar portfolio, giving us the opportunity to buy a little bit more, average our cost basis down. Uh, For those not familiar, it is the leading car-sharing company, kind of changing the paradigm of the car rental market and and the car market in general. Um, And we think it's got a ton of growth in its future. It's really a, a young company at this point.
1: Steve?
3: Sure. I can think of nothing more frightening than Zipcar, actually. <laughs> I did the number of variables. You
2: have cars that are being driven by different people, things smashing into each other. They have to get parking spaces all over the, this, the country. Yes. Uh, what is so appealing about this? It just it makes no sense to me.
0: Uh, for people certainly in metropolitan areas that don't own cars, it's it's a great solution. I, I know many people who are subscribers, you pay a small annual fee and then and a, a user fee per, per time, and it's very convenient, it works very well, um, and if you don't own a car, it's a nice alternative. And they're firing on all
2: cylinders, too. <laughs>
3: I didn't say that. Steve. So <laughs> no, the one time you should use yeah. it. <laughs> it's a
1: perfect It analogy. sounds like Steve might be more of like an Avis and Hertz well, kind I'm, of guy. Well, I'm with Steve, but I recommended this, and
3: we bought it at Hidden Gems. And, uh, and I started out saying, listen, this is not my kind of thing. I don't like to share it. Get your fork away from my plate unless you want my fork in your hand. And I certainly don't like to share cars, but that doesn't mean I can't recognize that Other people don't see the value in this, and I think
1: a lot of people do. Okay. In the minute we have left, James, your stuff Chris, I'm
2: going deep. Anglo-American, uh, A-A-U-K-Y, and the pink cheese is the ticker. It's actually a very big company. On November 4th, it was announced that it was uh, increasing its ownership in De Beers diamonds to 85%. Now, I've been thinking a lot about socially responsible investing lately. I'm trying to decide how I feel about diamonds in general. I know De Beers has this Kimberly Accord to ensure uh, conflict-free diamonds, but I've heard it's not very well complied with. So, I'm trying to think about how I feel about Anglo-American now. It's just on my radar. Steve? Shouldn't, shouldn't I be
3: afraid of just anything on the pink sheets? The pink sheets sound like a scary, scary you know, place to be.
2: Most of the time, yes. But, like, Nestle is a pink sheets company. There's a couple others. There are a few sort of big-name, huge market cap pink sheets, and this is one of them. But, but you're right. This is the rare exception.
0: And you can sometimes find value because, as
3: you yeah. said, some people stay away. Seth? I'm going to go with Guess, which I've spoken about before. Here, GES is the ticker. Just released earnings. uh, Disappointed Wall Street slightly. I own the stock. We have it over at Hidden Gems, but they are still doing very well, uh, producing a lot of cash. The revenue growth has slowed down a little. They're protecting their brand, so they're not doing the discounting that everybody else is doing, and so that's slowing down sales a little bit, but international expansion is important for them. They're doing well there. And, you know, the free cash flow yields about 9% right now for a company that can be growing in the mid-teens for a long time to come. That's just too cheap. Steve? Uh, one primary, guess is primary competitor, who would it be? One company? One company? oh uh, boy. It's sort of... It, it's, they don't have a single competitor. You know, they compete in a lot of places. So uh, you know sh- it, they compete in accessories, uh, coach, et cetera. Um,
2: Benetton it, is still around?
3: Benetton, right. yeah. You Jordache? Could, you could probably say Benetton, I guess, especially Chasson. in Europe.
1: Yeah. I think Reggie Middleton is, is a big fan <laughs> of that. He would fan though, of gas, there, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. All right, Seth Jason, James Early, Ron Gross. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. Thanks. Coming up next, what are the next big technologies we should be looking for? We'll talk with startup expert Paul Holland. Stay right here this is Motley Fool Money. money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Paul Holland is a venture capitalist and is the co-executive producer, along with uh, Molly Davis, of a new documentary film about the venture capital community. It's called Something Ventured. Paul joins me now. Paul, thanks for being here.
4: Thank you so much, Chris. I'm very excited to be on Motley Fool.
1: Um, so, you get hooked up with uh, Dan Geller and Dana Goldfein, who are the, the co-directors of the movie. I watched the movie. It's, it's really fascinating stuff. And frankly, if someone had told me, hey, I've got a documentary about venture capitalism, it's really riveting stuff, I would have thought they were crazy. But it's, it's, it's really just an amazing set of stories. Um, and let's just go through a few of them. Um, and I'll just start with you know, the, the biggest uh, biggest fish in the sea, and that's Apple. Uh, You know, one of the things that blew my mind in this movie is the number of people who had the opportunity to invest in Apple very early on and passed on it. Yes. What were these guys thinking?
4: Uh, Well, they're thinking what everybody thinks when they're dealing with, you know, very volatile, extremely risky, kind of a little bit flaky, interesting, yet bright, early stage entrepreneurs. It's really, really hard to tell. At that point in the existence, when folks like Nolan Bushnell and others turned down the opportunity, as you know from the film, he was offered the opportunity to buy one-third of Apple Computer for $50,000, and he turned it down. And uh, he's not the only one. There were, you know, those who are cash-starved companies, they still are today, and you have to kind of make your bets. Going back to the, the mention of uh, Dan and Dana, when we were interviewing the, uh, filmmakers, which is it was an unusual process in this case because we sort of had the idea and then we went to the filmmaker community to find somebody to make it, um, we, you know, we were trying to find common ground because here it is. I'm coming out of the, kind of the hardcore financial world and entrepreneurial world and I'm talking to these very creative filmmaker types. And as Dan and I were trying to kind of make that connection, I, I said uh, a comment to him. I said, you know, one of my favorite films is the movie Reds which you know, obviously goes back in time, talks about the Russian Revolution, and then does it to the eyes of the very, very old people who are retelling their stories. And he lit up and he said, so it sounds like we're going to make Reds, but without the communists. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was,
1: was going to say, yeah, a capitalist version of Reds.
4: Yeah, that was it. So, yeah, but there were lots of folks that, that get a chance to invest in these things. And, you know, not just them, but we miss them all the time. It's really difficult to figure out at that stage which ones are going to win and which ones aren't.
1: You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Paul Holland, venture capitalist and co-executive producer of the documentary film Something Ventured. Uh, You mentioned Apple, and it reminded me of maybe my favorite single image in the movie, um, and that is a news article from 1974. It's the cover story of a magazine, um, and it is about the success of IBM. And the image is of a massive shark, and written on the side of the shark is IBM. And it's basically going to eat all these smaller sharks. And the smaller ones are you know, other computer companies, um, Siemens, Honeywell, GE. And, and the quote that blew my mind was, there will never be another new computer company. Um, that's 1974, and obviously, there's there's a lesson to be had there in terms of sort of the the folly of huge pronouncements like that. But I'm curious, when you look around, um, I, I mean, Apple seems like it's the big shark today. Um, it seems like the company that it would be easy for someone today to say, you know what, there's never going to be a company like this ever again. Um what do you think is the uh, the shark that potentially eats Apple as certainly, you know, IBM as a computing shark um, was certainly taken down a few notches?
4: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a very rich question. <clears throat> I think that, that there, we're, we're operating in a little bit of a different world today in the sense that um, back then, companies were either pretty strictly vertically oriented or horizontally oriented, and they, and they either ran their entire supply chain, including their manufacturing and so forth, which, of course is what IBM did you know, going back into, the, into their earlier days. If you look at what's happening today and you look at a company like an Apple, um, Apple's, in my opinion, Apple's key success factor is that they're a phenomenal design company. You know, they just have figured out what consumers want, and they just get there ahead of everybody else. They're in incredibly difficult businesses. They're in hardware. They're in consumer electronics. They're in all these businesses that generally people just don't think of as very attractive. But they found a way to build fantastic products uh, at great margins, And I think that's what makes them so great and what makes them so valuable. But I think the threats to an Apple today are very different than the way IBM was threatened back in the past, where people would have to vertically integrate the way they did. These days, it's different. You know, the biggest threat to Apple, arguably, is the Android operating system, which is coming from, you know, essentially the equivalent of a consortium activity that was organized by Google. Um, So it's a combination of, you know, open source code and a combination of, of code that Google owns much of it, you know, apparently originally they came from Sun and Java and and JavaScript and other other organizations that kind of contributed over time. And so I think the biggest threat to something like an Apple is that people will look at those devices and look at those products and say, I love the products, I just don't want to pay the prices for them. And so they go with a lower-end operating system and then they go with other hardware vendors that are able to essentially knock off things like iPads, iPhones, and others and create comparable devices for less money. Uh, but it, it's certainly not killing them yet.
1: Uh, there are some amazing stories in this movie, um, a, a lot of them because of their success. There are also just some colossal failures in this yep. movie. I mean, I suppose that's, that's the nature of the beast in venture capital. But are there any in particular that sort of stand out in your mind where you just sort of look back and go, wow, what, what were they thinking when they invested in that?
4: Well, the, you know, some of the ones that get profiled, of course, Tom Perkins talks about the fact that uh, you know the second investment made at Kleiner Perkins was a company called Snow Job, which was a a, a motorcycle adaptable to become a snowmobile, and <laughs> and for whatever reason, you know, the you know the no, it's almost
1: those, hard to believe that didn't work.
4: Right, if the folks who eventually funded you know Genentech and Tandem and Google and uh, and Amazon were funding Snow Job, um, I think it's just one of these things where, you know, you can run into any entrepreneur at any given time, be captured by their excitement and, and the enthusiasm they have for a given concept, and, uh, and sort of get carried away along those lines. And, and there, you know, there have been many, many kind of failures or, or sort of spectacular flops over the years from that perspective. But I think it's, um, you know, the fact that, that the people that were involved in those things were in the game. Um, they were meeting those kind of world-changing entrepreneurs and and you just never know when the next person you're going to meet is going to be you know or the people you're going to meet are going to be Sergey and Larry or uh, you know Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak it's just you just don't know uh, and you and you kind of have to maintain a perpetually open mind about these things and I think one of the things thats that's fun about the film and, and about these characters is that in the case of a number of them they're still investing and they're well into their 80s um, they just, they just like it, and it's in their It's in there at the core of their being to be part of that entrepreneurial experience. From that perspective,
1: you're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Paul Holland, venture capitalist and co-executive producer of the documentary film Something Ventured. You are a partner at uh, the, the VC firm Foundation Capital. So I, I want to ask you a couple of questions that sort of tie into your experience there. We we recently had Neil Ferguson uh, on our show. Um, the historian yep. and uh, talked about uh, his latest book, which uh, deals with uh, essentially the, the, the rise and the decline uh, of the West. Um, one of the things he talked about was the rise of innovation in China, uh, among other places in the world. Um, do you think America is losing its edge in innovation
4: uh, I guess it's, it's I'd answer that question yes and no. Um, so I'd say at some level we're more innovative than we've ever been. If you are a you know 23 year old computer scientist who's coming out of a, a out of a good school and has a head full of ideas and are working with other people who have a head full of ideas, you know this is the most exciting time in American history from your perspective because you know the world's your oyster. There's an incredibly vibrant business environment. There's a whole new set of companies that are working in the social media realm and in other related realms. There's incredible opportunities now in the mobile space as the world moves from kind of a desktop world to a mobile world. There's, there's really fun opportunities in involving information and content, as evidenced by one of our companies, Netflix. It's pretty well known. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of excitement, and I think we're still, we're still a very, very innovative uh, country and a very innovative society. I think on the other side of the equation, there, you know, there's, a, there are, are, there's a lot of pessimism, and some of it's warranted, about you know, the general state of the economy, the state of opportunities for people, wherever it might happen to be. And I think if you're, if you're dwelling on that end of the spectrum, it's pretty hard to see the bright side. Uh, but if you're some of these folks that are forming companies by the, by the literally by the thousands, uh, you know, it was just in New York. And they have, you know, they have these these meetings that are, you know, kind of every other week. We're involving hundreds of entrepreneurs starting companies. So I think, I still believe that America is the best environment in which to start and run and build a large company from an entrepreneurial base. I still believe it's the most meritocratic place to be able to do that. I think in China, you have some exciting elements, both in terms of the demographics, uh, the fact that the government... Kind of gets behind certain um, you know trends and themes there, and kind of helps them along. And I think in a more functional way than we tend to do it here. Um, that, that I think those are some things that are very interesting. But I also I would have other areas of concern when I look at some of the emerging economies, and and I and I, and I, I don't I don't think anybody's got a blank check from that perspective. And I think over the next century, um, I, I wouldn't uh, you know I, I have all sorts of respect for uh, for uh, for Mr. Ferguson. But when I look at, um, I think there's just as good a case that over the next century, we're going to look back on this in 100 years and say it was yet another American century from the point of view of innovation and business success.
1: At The Motley Fool, we're focused on public companies. uh, But as a venture capitalist, I'm guessing you're focused on private companies and sort of the the up-and-comers and and, and looking for the next big thing. Um, What are a couple of companies or technologies um, that are on your radar right now that are that are probably not uh, on the radar of, of people like me.
4: Well, so that's uh, I'll, I'll I'll throw out as many as you'd like, and you can stop <laughs> me along the way because there's 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 a lot there's a lot it's it's a great time uh, to be involved in in early stage venture, and there are a lot of really interesting companies. Uh, I'll start in the mobile space. There's a company called Mobile Iron uh, where we're an investor and mobile iron has a very simple value proposition as the world has moved towards what they call BYOD bring your own device in the workplace so bring in an iPhone bring in an Android device bring in a tablet and use that as a combination device that you use for both your personal life and for your professional life that creates a really interesting challenge for the IT departments around security and control and so forth mobile iron solves that problem with a uh, you know uh, a series of different solutions that they deploy and it's a very very fast growing company in a just a blisteringly hot market um, and uh, and that's one you know we're very excited about uh over in a different realm uh, we have a company called Chegg and Chegg is uh, a company that's almost uh, a little bit of a successor company from a concept basis to some of the things that Netflix started but what Chegg works on is in the area of renting college textbooks and also digital services for college students and the timing of their birth was perfect from the perspective that they came into the market just as the recession was hitting. And so being able to offer a you know, $200 textbook for $50 or $60 as a rental as opposed to doing it as, a, as something you had to buy, the kind of things you and I did when we went to school, uh, is a really intriguing option, and the company's grown extremely rapidly as a result of it. Another very fast-growing company is a company called Sunrun in a completely different realm for us in our clean tech practice. And what Sunrun does is also blindingly simple. They enable you to put solar on your home, uh, and they do it in such a way they, they invented a model and, and perfected a model that had been invented for the commercial realm called the PPA or the power purchase agreement. And so, rather than going and spending you know thirty or forty thousand dollars out of pocket to put seven or eight or nine kilowatts on your roof, uh, Sunrun can put that on your roof for free or close to free. And then you do sort of the equivalent of a, of a shared lease with them over the life of the project, over the life of the time that you have the solar on the roof. And they've become the, uh, you know, I, as, as I understand it, they've become the top installer of solar across the country with, uh, with that model. Um, and then one final one I'd, 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 mind, uh, I'd end on, which I think is a good one for the Motley Fool is a company called Lending Club. And Lending Club works on a model that's, that's really fascinating. It's called peer-to-peer lending. So rather than go to the bank and get a loan for, you know, $15,000 to buy a car, you go on the Lending Club and you put yourself out for bid. You say, I am, you know, I'm Chris. My credit rating is the following. Here's my credit history. I'd like to borrow $15,000. Are you interested in lending it to me? And so there are thousands of Chris's out there looking for that type of funding, and fortunately there are thousands of other people who want to make a better rate of return than they can make at their local bank.
1: Coming up, more with venture capitalist Paul Holland, plus we'll play a round of Buy, Sell, or Hold. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money, Chris Hale talking with Paul Holland, venture capitalist and co-executive producer of the documentary film, Something Ventured. Uh, Paul, before we wrap up with a round of Buy, Sell, or Hold. Uh, Help, help settle a, a, a debate in our office because we, we talk... Frequently, about the IPOs that have occurred in 2011. And, um, you know, as as, uh, seen in your film, um, there are venture capitalists who will essentially uh, take flyers on 10 companies. One of them can pay off big, Um, some of them could also, uh, you know, uh, fail very quickly. Um, So I'm going to spot you up with a few IPOs. You tell me of the ones I give you. If I were just to Hand over to you a hundred shares. Which one you would feel best about uh, over the next five years? Um, LinkedIn, Groupon, Pandora, and just because it's close to my heart, literally, uh, Duncan Brands.
4: Uh, and I'm just handed over at the current stock price, and I'm expecting to see appreciation over a five-year period.
1: I'm just going to hand over a hundred shares. You don't have to, you know, take the risk. Which which one? Uh, are you thinking is, is going to pay off the most in five years?
4: Uh, I would choose Groupon, which I recognize for some people are probably you know, moaning in agony when I say that. <laughs> like how, could you, how could you choose something like that? Groupon has fundamentally changed the way that retail is practiced and retail is the largest business in the world. Um, what they do, how they manage it, whatever it might happen to be, you know, none of us have any control over but they have, they have opened, you know, uh, to, to you know, borrow a pun from the other company you mentioned, Pandora's Box, they've opened Pandora's Box about what the next generation of buying things is going to be like, and they've been one of the first to get way out in front of that. And uh, I think certainly they'll have their ups and downs over time, but I think it's a company that has the potential to be very, very valuable over time.
1: All right. We'll wrap up with a round of buy, seller, hold. There are reports that uh, the IPO next year could be uh, looking at a company with a valuation of around $100 billion. Buy, sell, or hold the business of Facebook. Buy. Why is that?
4: Well, there's never been a business in the history of humankind that has found a way to get 700 million people to join it uh, in, a, in a period of roughly five years. And they're only beginning to monetize those relationships and that activity with what will ultimately become Facebook commerce and other types of things. Um, it, it's, it, it's quite literally one of the very few companies you can scale the sky's the limit, there are no inherent barriers to where they go and what they do and how big they can become
1: It's got a loyal customer base and it's got Howard Stern, buy, sell or hold the future of Sirius XM Sell Why is that?
4: Um, yeah, the, the, I think that the world of, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an avid customer of, uh, of Sirius, I have it in three different cars and I love it from that perspective. But the, the music world, which is an area that I, just, I, I really enjoy kind of delving into from a hobby perspective, is changing so rapidly right now with uh, a whole range of different types of players that are coming out. The, the new model that I think is going to be the one that trumps all is the, you know, is the all-you-can-eat model. You know, pay $9.99 a month and get 15 million songs. All of those services, without mentioning the names of the specific services, all those services are going to get folded into automobiles, which is where the vast majority, probably 90 percent of the listening that occurs for Sirius uh, and, and, uh, and, and XM, occurs in cars uh, or in transport of some form. And, and as these new models merge into those places, I think it's going to be very threatening for them to sign up new customers. Uh, I think it's going to be a ferociously competitive market.
1: And finally, there are rumors that this could be the next big thing for Apple Buy sell, or hold, an Apple television set.
4: Oh boy, can I go neutral? Yeah, you can hold. Absolutely, I'll just, I'll just hold uh, on that. I've got Apple TV, and um, I, you know, I use it as a as a software platform at home. But uh, I, I I I I'd like to wait and see on that. Never never want to bet against Apple, but they've not every one of their product uh, um, you know introductions. Witness the Newton uh, has been successful. <laughs>
1: The film is Something Ventured. It is as entertaining a film as I have seen all year. Congratulations, Paul, uh, to you and Molly uh, and Dan and Dana and the whole team. It's, uh, it's great stuff. Uh, listeners should go out. They should find this movie because it's, it's probably not playing at your Cineplex yet, um, but this is definitely a movie you want to look for. Something Ventured. Paul Holland, thanks so much for being here.
4: Chris, thank you very much. It was a tremendously enjoyable
1: time. That's it for this week. For daily analysis on the latest business news, you can check out our daily podcast, Market Foolery. And for video highlights, you can go to fooltv.com. That's it for this edition of Motley Fool Money. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Mac Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.